Welcome to Bob Got a Microphone, the podcast that exists because I, Bob Tarantino, bought a microphone. There are a lot of interesting people out there, and these are some of their stories. So, at least in my experience, you get one of two situations on LinkedIn. Either people are way too boring, or they're sort of cringe-inducing. It's tough to find the perfect mix of candid and helpful information. Angela Hahn is one of the people who finds that sweet spot. If you follow her on LinkedIn, and you should, you probably know why she's appearing in this episode. She's a life coach, a podcaster, and a lawyer, sure. But more importantly, she's someone who speaks candidly and compellingly about the importance of curiosity, being compassionate towards yourself, asking better questions, feeling your feelings, and setting your life up so that you're doing the things that only you can do. One programming note. I wasn't a very good podcast host at the end of this, and I neglected to ask Angela where people can find her. So let me fix that now. You can find Angela on LinkedIn, of course, but you should also check out her podcast, Fit to Practice, and you can find her at Angela-Hahn.com. All right, Angela Hahn, welcome. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be having this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Just FYI, like I said, I have a throat issue today. It's not COVID because I had COVID in January, but... Um, wow. I think I get all of my sickness from my two-year-olds, so. <laughs> Those are just like a disease vector, right? Exactly. It's amazing that we let them around us. That's my view. Yeah. We're, it's very generous of us. Let me describe my experience of Angela Hahn. So we know each other through LinkedIn a little bit. Yeah. I've always been a fan of sort of the content that you're putting out there and what you're bringing to the table. What I noticed is over the last maybe year and a bit, once you sort of started publicly identifying yourself as a life coach, something kind of changed a bit. And you, like, I remember listening to one of your podcasts and you were like, you know what? Like, I just want to make a fuck ton of money. And I was like, yeah, I want you to make a fuck ton of money. I want to watch you make a fuck ton of money. And so you've sort of this level of candor and authenticity that you've been bringing has been really compelling. And so I wonder, am I right in seeing that change? Like, has something changed for you over the last year, 18 months, two years? Or was this always there and I was just overlooking things? <laughs> um, no, I think, I think you're right that I, it's almost been exactly a year since I, I like publicly announced that I am a life coach. And I think like part of me was sort of like embarrassed that I was calling myself a life coach. Like, who am I? I think everybody goes through that when, when you talk to life coaches, because there's this, just this narrative that life coaching is not a real profession, like you don't get a degree in it or whatever. But now that I've made, I actually have made so much money from it. It kind of feels silly to be embarrassed about calling myself a life coach. But I think that once I initiated that self-concept of being a life coach and being that person for other people, um, I think, yeah, you're right. Uh, that's very astute of you to, <laughs> to recognize that there is that kind of release of freedom in my creativity to be more of who I am. Yeah, it's been, it's been really fun to watch. So how did you end up deciding to become a life coach? Like, what was that process for you? Yeah, so, well, initially, I, I feel like I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, like, I think when I graduated law school in 2017, I knew immediately that I had to do something else because like at least while I was practicing, 
because I knew that I couldn't just be sitting in front of a computer all day. And so I decided I was like looking on YouTube and watching for some sort of inspiration. I literally just Googled inspiration. <laughs> and so one of the videos was saying that you can find your uh, inspiration in your biggest pain. And at that point, I had just graduated from law school. And so I had um, just recovered from seven years of bulimia, which I was able to overcome through like exercise and physical health. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, why don't I become a personal trainer? And so I got certified right after I passed the bar, walked into a gym next to my apartment and was like, hey, hire me. And then I badgered them for like two months. They finally hired me. But after another two months, I, have to, I had to move away for my new lawyer job. And so I put up my own shingle, started just training a bunch of people. And then they're like, well, I want to do more than exercise. And so I became a health coach. And like, well, I want to do more than health. So I became a life coach. That's great. And so, so actually, let me start this portion of the conversation by doing this. I want, I'm going to read your opening on your podcast, which is Fit to Practice. And we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. So, quote, I teach lawyers how to feel safe and secure in their own skin, whether it's by loving their job, growing their dream business, or simply remembering who they are. Being fit to practice is about being who you are, because you are the only person who can serve your clients the way you can, the only person who can be you. I really, I, I quite like that. Is there something about lawyers in particular that prevents them from remembering who they are? Yeah, I think there's... I talk to lawyers, but I think this is the case for all human beings, that we are, we're conditioned to have certain beliefs about ourselves and the world. Uh, one common thing is that you have to be busy all the time. Another common thing is that you have to be perfect all the time. Another common thing is that you have to have answers all the time. And so then we don't recognize that we have two different brains, that we have a lawyer brain and we have a human brain. And the lawyer brain is required to produce answers, to follow the, follow the law, follow the rules, all of those things. Whereas like the human brain, we don't really have any rules. We don't really have any like laws that we go, we, that we go by. We just, we just have feelings, we have thoughts, and we go about our lives. But a lot of the times what lawyers do is that we make it a problem that we have feelings, that we have thoughts. And so then that gets in the way of being a lawyer because we're like, oh, I have thoughts and feelings, therefore I don't have good answers, therefore I'm not perfect, therefore I shouldn't be a lawyer, therefore I suck at everything, and therefore um, I don't know what I'm doing. And so it's like just this whole spiral of kind of doubting ourselves simply because we're being human. And so remembering who you are is just remembering that you have two separate skill sets, the skill of being a lawyer and the skill of being human. They don't always have to be on the same page, but they're both skills that make you who you are. Amazing. And so how do you know if somebody's ready to be coached? Like if somebody reaches out to you, are you able to sit there and say, yeah, like this person is sort of a viable candidate, if that's the right term uh, for coaching, or like this person still has other things that they need to work on before I can help them? Yeah, I think it's, that's exactly it. If they believe that they have other things to work on before they ask for help, then that's exactly why they they, they're not going to ask for help. <laughs> okay. Because if they're like, oh, like I need, I need to like figure this out and figure that out. They're not going to ask for help because they think that they have to do this on their own, but that's part of the conditioning, right? 
we're like as lawyers like we are the holder of answers we're the ones where like the buck stops with us and so we have to figure things out before asking for help and so they perpetually never ask for help so they're never ready (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the people who start working with me they simply decide that they're ready right now and that's it it's really as simple as that okay and do you are you coached like do you have a coach Oh yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. I am a, a very aggressive consumer of coaching. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I am. I wouldn't be able to serve or show up for my clients the way I could, the way I am right now. I have like three group coaches. I have two like one-on-one coaches because number one, it's fun, and I want to be the example of fun for other people because. That's what I help other people do to have more fun in their lives. And if I'm not having fun, then I can't teach other people how to do that. So a couple of observations. So one is I feel like for somebody to be willing to be coached requires a certain amount of vulnerability, right? Like you have to be willing to say like, I need help essentially. At the same time, in order to be a coach, I feel like A, there's a certain amount of generosity involved in that. Right. Like, obviously, you're getting paid for it and coaches are getting paid for it. But at the same time, you're taking on burdens you don't have to take on. Right. Like in terms of being an entrepreneur, there's lots of other things that you could be doing with your time rather than sort of, you know, developing relationships with people and delving into what can probably be pretty emotionally fraught territory. But at the same time, a coach has to, I'm guessing, be a source of knowledge in the way that you've described it. Like they have to be willing to kind of be the guide and be the person that's bringing the person along. So there's, there's the vulnerability on the one hand in terms of you being coached and there's the confidence and the sort of audacity, if, if, maybe, if that's the right, right term, in being a coach. How do those, so there seems to be like a tension there. Like how do you kind of navigate between those two things? Like do you sort of switch on and off a hat? Like, you know, some days you're, a coach and some days you're being coached or are you able to integrate those two kind of mindsets in, in, the, in a fulsome way? It's kind of like, you know, like a carpenter, right? A carpenter doesn't get their skills like on their own. They have to have, they have to be like an apprentice or get their training somewhere, right? And so they're going to have as much being apprenticed as much as actually creating a wooden box for their customers, And so it's like, it's all connected where the more you learn from other coaches, the more you're able to coach other people and vice versa. Best clients, which are pretty much all of my clients, they teach me how to be a better coach too, by being vulnerable and by being real themselves. And I only attract those kinds of people because I am that myself. I am being that example for them. And so then they feel safe to be able to be who they are without feeling like I'm going to judge them because I'm not judging myself. And so they don't have any reason to believe that I'll be judging them either. And so because I'm not judging myself in the context of me coaching them, I'm also not judging myself in the context of being coached. I approach this with wonder and curiosity of just my human brain. Like if I feel shitty, what do I want to do about that? What does that mean for me? What does that mean about me as a human being, as a lawyer, as a coach, whatever? And so it's like, when the, the, the bedrock of my relationships with anybody, whether it's my coach or my clients, is curiosity, then there's really, there's, no, there's nothing to balance because it's, I'm just being who I am. And so how do you, or, or, or is there a, a need to 
navigate being somebody's coach and being their friend? Like, can you ever, is it dangerous for a coach to become a friend? I don't think so. I'm trying to think because like that kind of like underlying that question is like the assumption that if you are, if you become a friend of them, then like there are no more boundaries. Mm-hmm. But I think in any relationship, everybody has the power to set boundaries. So if they ask a question um, and I don't want to answer it, I can tell them that. Or I don't have to answer it. Or if they want something from me, I can tell them that this is not something that I offer. And so I think it's like in any relationship, whether it's your friends or your clients or your coaches or whatever, you have the power to draw those boundaries. And so when I feel comfortable in my ability to draw those boundaries, then it really doesn't matter if they become my my friend. Like some of them have, like I have worked on additional projects outside of coaching with them. And because we are so clear and respectful of each other's boundaries, there really is no problem or blending between anything that's going on. Life coach. What role does the word life play in that description? Because there's, there's executive coaches. I mean, you talked about, you know, being a trainer and, and being a health coach. Like what, what, what's the significance of being a life coach? I don't think there's any particular significance other than the fact that like, Everything, everything that you mentioned, like the personal training, the health and the executive, that all falls under life, right? Like people think that like executive coaching or leadership coaching is fancier because it means that you become a leader. But if you accept the fact that every single human being is a leader, every single human being is an influencer, every single human being has some, some sort of value to offer, then it's about not, it's not about leadership coaching because that kind of like leaves out everything else that allows you to become a leader. Uh, Whereas in life coaching, everything is connected, right? Health, relationships, career, spirituality, everything, business, right? Because in order to be a leader, you need to look at all of those things in order to see how you can become a leader. And so I feel like life coach kind of just encompasses everything. Nice. I guess that this pertains both to your own sort of journey in being coached and, and to being a coach. Is there an end point to it? Like, is there a point where you sit there and say, let's start with, a, with one of your clients. Is there a point where you say, okay, like we've accomplished what we need to accomplish or what we can accomplish. Like this, this coaching relationship is over or is a coaching relationship, like, does it, can it essentially be perpetual or, or last for, you know, there, there's no predefined kind of end date to it. Yeah. So I said the number of like a, the, the length of time that we're going to work on together. Sometimes mm-hmm. it changes, but at the end of that term, like we, we make the decision, this is the length of time we're going to work on together. And these are the goals that we're going to hit. And then at the end of that time, we have a mutual discussion on whether we should continue or stop. It's really like kind of half and half. Like some of my clients, they got exactly what they needed. And so um, they're well, well on their way. And some clients, they feel like they have resolved a certain issue, but then it kind of like they're working on something even bigger or they came up with an even bigger idea as a result of the coaching. And so then we continue on. And so it really depends on the client. And the thing that I try to avoid is what's called codependency, where it's like, I just, I just want their money. And so they should therefore continue to keep working with me. And so that's just, if, if that's the energy that I bring to the table, 
then I can no longer be of service to them. And so that's why it needs to be a mutual discussion on whether the relationship is going to continue. Right. So this, this may be, I don't want this question to be crass or uninformed, but how do you decide just on that point? Like, how do you decide how much to charge a coach? Like it, what, what's sort of the market research or do you just kind of pick a number and see what, see what people are willing to pay? Yeah. It, it, you do pick a number and then it's just, just supply and demand. Okay. So in addition to your coaching, you recently published Women in Law, a project that it, it took the better part of a year to, to put together. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that came to be? Yeah, I read um, the article by the AB Journal about how women are not paying attention to upward mobility. And um, it, it upset a lot of people. And it upset a lot of people for different reasons. And the thing that primarily got me was the fact that upward mobility was the only thing that we need to pay attention to in order to be successful. And so a lot of the, 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 there is this kind of this underlying narrative where like, oh, like if you don't make it to the C-suite, oh, if you don't make it to partnership track or whatever, then you failed as a lawyer or, um, or like you're not as successful as you should be. But I feel like um, that is a very kind of narrow definition of success. I feel like success is just a word that's really thrown around all over the place and we don't really kind of know what that means. And so then we just like, because we don't even know what that means, we're just kind of judging everybody else based on like what we just kind of vaguely think what it means. And so I was like, well, I feel like based on my experience with like podcasting, for example, after speaking to hundreds of lawyers, I feel like all of them are successful in some shape or form because they have some sort of story to tell. And whatever it is that their story is, that is where the power is, not whether they got up to C-suite or partnership track or whatever it is. And so I was kind of determined to like translate that into a book. And so I just said like, listen, like if you are interested in something like this, sign up with me. And so maybe like about 50 people were interested. And then it kind of whittled down to 23 total who were very much committed and just kind of went from there. So you in law, like Angela Hahn in law, are you a happier lawyer now than you were, say, at the beginning of your career or than you were you know, three years ago, two years ago? I would say that I'm a happier like person yeah. because that like not because anything has changed, but because I have learned to be a human being first, because before I was defining myself through all these other things like my grades, my paycheck. And even like my, 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 my racial identity, the fact that I'm a woman, like all of those things, I was measuring my worth and my value by those kinds of criteria. And that was just not the right place to be. And so then when I was able to, I mean, I'm, I still, to a certain extent, subconsciously measure myself by those outside criteria, but now it's more about like, who am I and how do, how can I love myself even more? How can I be more curious about myself? How can I be more compassionate towards myself? And when that is the question, when I'm asking higher quality questions about my life, then of course it's going to elevate me. It's going to take me to more places rather than, oh, am I deserving of this job? Or, oh, like, are people undermining me because I'm a minority woman? Like if I'm asking those questions, well, that second question is, I think it's fine. We can still be curious about that question. But if I'm like just concerned about my worth in a way that's attached to other people's opinions, then I'll just go into a spiral 
and like there's no happiness to be found. But simply because of the way that I'm asking questions differently, my happiness already is like moving in a different place. That's great. And so just to pick up on that point about people being more compassionate to themselves, do you have like one or two tips or, or practices or habits that people can implement in order to sort of be more compassionate? Yeah, it's actually very simple. If you think about the thing that we avoid the most, it is feeling our feelings. <laughs> one of my coaches said, there's literally a war going on right now because people are unwilling to feel their feelings and be vulnerable about their feelings. And so we are kind of wanting that validation. We're wanting that power. We're wanting that, that outside criteria. We want our worth to be proven so badly that we're always going chasing after the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and doing, 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 where we don't pause to take a look at how we actually feel. And so a lot of people tell me, well, how the hell do you feel your feelings? And here's the thing, like so many people tell me that they don't know how to do something that they already know how to do. Like you do know how to feel your feelings. You know how to cry. You know how to sit there and just kind of stare outside and just kind of sit in that discomfort. But the one thing that I can say is something that one of my coaches, Danielle Savory, talks about is like the way your compassion towards your feelings is simply isn't the tone of which you approach your feelings. So if you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, like, why am I crying? I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so emotional. I'm so sorry. And being like apologetic and judgmental about your feelings, then that's not compassionate. Whereas your tone is like, oh, like I'm crying. I'm so proud of myself for being able to show my emotions, not be apologetic about it. It's okay that I'm crying. Like that's a whole new different tone. And that already creates like this different physical reaction in your body that allows your body to relax and feel safer and more spacious. So this next question, this is going to come from a place of ignorance because one, one of the things that I find really remarkable about your sort of public persona and compelling about what you do is you seem just unbelievably busy and productive and prolific, right? Like you're a mom, you are, you know, you're a spouse, you're a lawyer, like a full-time lawyer, you're a life coach, you're publishing book projects. How do you find the time to feel your feelings? Like, how do you, what steps do you take in order to make that space in your life? So feeling our feelings doesn't have to be a big project. I mean, like it doesn't, we're not like, oh my gosh, do I have time to cry today? You just cry if you want to cry and that's it. And so in terms of like having the time to do all of these things, I feel like, like, would you ask that question to, to Jeff Bezos, right? Like he has a lot going on. He's running, he, like, I guess he's not running Amazon anymore, but he's been running a multi-billion dollar, like he's been running the, the biggest business in yeah. the world probably. And now he's like starting on this new space project. That's like, and then yet he's like living his life, right? And he's not the one delivering the boxes. He's not the one like publishing the books, What's he doing as a CEO? Like he's delegating and he's created a system. And so he has structured his life in a way that he only does what only he can do. So it's like stepping into that identity. Okay, if I'm the CEO of my life and the CEO of my business and the co-CEO of my household, what does that mean? What are the things that I can delegate? What are the things that only I can do? 
And what are the things that lights me up? And so then when you focus on those, you're actually able to create so much space to do whatever it is that you want. So everything that you've mentioned here, being a lawyer, being a mom, being a coach, and like uh, getting a, a, a book published and being a podcast host, I only do those things because they light me up. But if you ask me to like, I don't know, wash a car, I'd be like, that only takes five minutes, but I'm not going to do it because it doesn't light me up. So it's about like, again, setting up a structure, setting up boundaries that are very clear about what you want to do based on who you are and what you want to do. Excellent. It's, it's great watching you be lit up by the things that, that really sort of energize you. So what's next? What, what, what do you want to accomplish with your coaching, with your career? What, what can we expect to see from Angela on in the next year? two years, et cetera. Yeah. So for like this, what is it, March right now? So March and April are going to be kind of months of reflection and rest. And again, like being curious about what compassion means for me at this time, because at the end of April is when my baby is due. And so I'm at a place where it's like so many times, so often, like women are told that, oh, like pregnancy is like in the way of your career or whatever. But it's like, this is a time for me to really think about why my pregnancy is happening right now and how that is working in my favor and how that is fueling my creativity and my professionalism and just really sitting in that gratitude of this upcoming baby. And then kind of like I'm letting the ideas flow from that, from sitting in the, the awe and the, the enchantment of, of giving birth and being a woman. And so I'm going to allow the ideas to flow from there. But in terms of like the timeline itself, I do have a book that is that just I, I just wrote um, that's coming up either in April or whatever. And so when that comes out, I am planning to and, when, and once, once the baby is out as well, I'm going to check in with my body and check in with my soul and decide like how I want to show up and serve. And so I have so, some idea on how to do it. But then again, I'm going to have to see like what's going on with my body and my brain to decide, okay, this is exactly what I'm going to do next, which is really nourishing because so often like, you like you're told that you have to plan your year ahead. You have to have a schedule or whatever. And then these unexpected things happen and then it forces you to slow down. It forces you to feel your feelings, but that's the place where you get the most ideas and the most creativity and the path to get to where you want to be the fastest. I, I really look forward to reading that new book. I look forward to seeing what happens with you and all of your endeavors. So thanks so much for taking the time today. This has been a real pleasure and a real treat. So you take care. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, liking it, sharing it with your friends, or inflicting it on your enemies. If you're still listening, you're probably the only one who's doing so. The secret number is 42. To claim your no prize, send an email with the secret number in the subject line to bob at Bob got a microphone dot com. Zero, zero, nine, six, two, two, five, one.